0: So we're kicking off this new series. It's called How It Started, How It's Going, and it's we're looking at the early church. And to do that, we're going to be diving into the book of Acts. Uh, before we get into the topic for today, though, I want to explain a little bit about what the book of Acts actually is. Uh, you may not realize, but the word the name Acts is actually shorthand for Acts of the Apostles. That's what we traditionally have called this book, and what it basically means is just stuff the apostles did. Right? That's what Acts means, and that's what the book is all about. Uh, Acts was is actually part two of a two part book series by a guy named Luke. Uh, Luke, scripture tells us, was a physician. But when you think physician, don't think like modern medical doctor. Think, uh, think someone in the ancient world who was highly, highly educated, very well read, who knew his way around ancient medicine, but also knew how to research, knew how to read and write and, and, and all of that. And so Luke was a physician, a very uh, well-educated man, and he was hired by this very wealthy guy named Theophilus. Theophilus uh, was a likely a Jewish convert to Christianity. He, he was Jewish who then began to follow Jesus and he was, he was really wealthy, but he had some questions. As best as we can tell, Theophilus, he's kind of new to his faith and he wants to understand what this whole Jesus movement is all about. And he's kind of curious why so many Gentiles, non-Jewish people, were suddenly becoming part of this religion that to him seemed kind of Jewish. So what are they all doing here? And so Theophilus, with his great resources, his great money, he hired Luke to do some research for him. And I mean, it would have been an expensive proposition because he had to send Luke and whoever was supporting him all the way to Jerusalem to go get eyewitness accounts. And, and um, they ultimately, Luke ultimately produced these two huge scrolls. They were the, the biggest scrolls that you could get at the time. And the, those two scrolls became what we call the book of Luke and the book of Acts. That's what we have in our scripture now. When you look at these two books together, you realize that what Luke is doing is he is helping Theophilus understand the whole story of what the church is— he goes all the way back to the birth of Jesus, and and in telling the story of the birth of Jesus, he's intentional to tie it into the whole uh, the whole history of Jewish scriptures, helping Theophilus understand how Jesus um, fulfilled the things that were promised by God in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and then it follows all the way through the life of Jesus, uh, his his death, his resurrection, and then ultimately his ascension. And Acts takes place right after that, when the Holy Spirit is given to the disciples of Jesus, and they go off into the world to kick off this movement of bringing the good news of Jesus to the world. And the book of Acts ends with the gospel, the good news, pretty much reaching all the, the extremities of the Roman Empire and even ending, ending up in Rome itself. So when you look at these two books together, you realize it's the story of the church from the birth of Jesus all the way until the gospel reaches Rome. That's what Luke and Acts is all about. So today we're kicking off this series where we're going to look at the second half of this story. We're going to look at the book of Acts and understand the story of how the church was born. That's what we're going to do this summer. Now, you may wonder why, uh, why now? It's not random, I'll tell you that. The reason that we are looking at Acts this summer kind of boils down to two reasons. There's two reasons. First, first, uh, it's a kind of a momentous time here at Grace because we are coming up on our 30th anniversary as a church this year, which is wild. I was eight. When Grace Church started, and now I've got gray hairs in my beard. So it's kind of crazy to think that, like, we're already 30 years old as a community. But it's a time to celebrate, and it's a really good reason to reflect and look back. And so that's what we're going to do. But that's reason number one. Reason number two is because we are at a bit of a turning point right now as a community for a couple reasons. One, as you may know, Fishers, our Fishers campus, we are in the process of launching Fishers out as an independent church plant, which I am so excited about. I'm thrilled because what that means is that in the days ahead— Grace Fishers and Grace Church here at 146th Street, we are going to be two independent churches that are closely partnered together, but able to to fulfill our mission and spread the good news of Jesus in unique ways in different areas of our community. It's going to be great. That's exciting. But even here, even here at 146th Street, we are experiencing something of a rebirth as a church. Things are, are new. It kind of feels like a bit like a new beginning. We are in the process of taking all the best aspects of Grace Church over the last 30 years and then working together to build what the next 30 years are going to look like. That's what we're in the process of doing right now. And so it is a perfect time in, the, in the, this momentous 30-year 30, 30 anniversary, at this time of a of great turning point, of a rebirth for us. It's a great chance for us to ask the question of how did this whole movement start? and what does it mean to still be a part of it today so we're going to look at not the whole book of acts my goodness that would take like that would take like six eight months to really go all the way through it we don't have the time what we're going to do is we're going to look at nine key moments in the book of acts uh, some of which you'll definitely if you're familiar with the book you'll be like oh yeah of course we're talking about that and some of them you'll be like you picked that one for nine, you only have nine, you pick that one? And I promise the reason we picked these different ones is because they are gonna help us understand what the church is and what the church is up against and what our message in the world actually is. So these are the nine key moments that we're gonna look at. It's gonna be really good, I'm very excited. Ultimately, I think we're gonna come, at, come out the other side of this understanding better what it means to be the body of Christ, to be the church in a still broken world. How it started and how it's going. So, let's get into it. Let's take a look at, as you guessed it, the book of Acts. So please grab a Bible and turn with me to Acts 2, starting in verse 42. Now, We're going to go a little bit out of order for this first weekend. Um, Next weekend, we are going to talk about the story of Pentecost. Pentecost is when God's Holy Spirit was given to the disciples. We'll get all the way into the details there next week. Um, This week, we're going to look at what happened immediately after Pentecost for a pretty easy reason. The reason is because here, in what we're about to read, Luke gives a, a really clear, concise summary of what the church was like at its best. Okay, it goes through a lot of ups and downs in the rest of the book of Acts. There's some high points and some low points, but here Luke gives us a summary of what the church was like at its best. And I think this passage is a great one to kick off the series with because in a sense this can be a bit of a north star for us as we think about what Grace Church could look like at our best. Okay, so let's read this and then we'll get into it. Acts 2 verse 42. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Okay, that's the little snapshot of the church at its best. Let's dig into this. I think it's important, whenever we look at any passage of scripture, to, to spend a little time thinking about the world behind the text, right? What was going on in, in the time when this was written? What was going on uh, for the people who were experiencing it? And in this particular case, I find it helpful to think about a timeline of what led up to this moment. So let's start with the, the death of Jesus on the cross. That happened on a Friday, a good Friday of Passover. It was a Jewish festival. It happened on Friday, and Jesus rose again that Sunday of of that same weekend, okay? And then over the next six weeks, so just kind of picture a six-week time period, Jesus appears to his disciples. Uh, he, He shows up in different ways and at different times, and he teaches them. He helps them understand what his death was all about, why, you know, what's going on now, how the kingdom of God has begun. He goes and he teaches them, he explains all these things to them and then six weeks after his crucifixion, roughly, he ascends into heaven or disappears from view and when that happens, he tells his disciples this in Acts 1 uh, verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses it's important. You'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he says that to the disciples, disappears from view, and then about a week later, that's exactly what happens. A week later is Pentecost. And Pentecost is another Jewish festival, and it, pen, I'll get into it next week, but Pentecost, Penta is... is it means 50 in Greek and so it's 50, 50 days since Passover. So we're talking 50 days from the crucifixion is Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is given to the disciples and they are launched. And you know what happens? They go out and even that day begin witnessing to people about what they experienced in Jesus, they begin teaching other people of what the what the reality is, what actually happened with the, the, the risen Jesus, and many many people are are completely swept up to it, uh, up into it, and blown away because all of a sudden these disciples, these ordinary country bumpkins from Galilee, all of a sudden they're speaking other languages. They're healing people of diseases and demons. They're, they're, they're speaking with power and authority that nobody could have imagined them having. It, all of a sudden, it's like they're completely transformed. Now again, we'll talk about Pentecost more next week, but suffice it to say, this powerful moment it, 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 of the Spirit empowering these, these humble followers of Jesus and their message that the Messiah had come, that the kingdom of God was, was, was on earth, that it was happening, God had brought salvation to the world, this blew people's minds, right? They're freaking out. And of course, a lot of them want to join this movement and be a part of it. Right before what we read, it says that 3,000 people joined the church that day, that first day, and then many more every day, every day after. Okay, so people are flocking to this movement. I, I think the timeline helps. Only 50 days after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, the world has changed. People are swept up. And what do they do? Well, that's what this passage tells us. Look at verse 42 again. Luke says that they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, apostle is just a word in Greek that means, that means one sent out as a messenger or an agent. That's what apostle means. Remember what Jesus told his followers. He said, you will be my witnesses, right? You will go out into the world. In other words, these are the same people who walked with Jesus and and learned from Jesus and now they are his messengers, his apostles. And their teaching was... I mean, pretty straightforward. Presumably, they're teaching who Jesus is, uh, what he taught us, how he fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures, how we should live as a result of the things that he did and said and taught. And this right here, this is what the people were devoted to learning. Now, remember, this moment in the early church, this is Years, decades before anything like the letters of the New Testament had come into existence. These weren't in circulation yet. So at this point, the apostles' teaching, this was it. This was the backbone of the church, of how people could grow in following Jesus. So the people devoted themselves, the the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but it wasn't just learning. It wasn't just head knowledge. It was also action. Look at what it says next. It says in verse 42, they also devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship. Now this word fellowship, uh, I don't think in our modern parlance it quite carries the meaning or the depth of meaning that it was meant to. Like if you grew up in the church and, and there was a time of fellowship, what did that mean? It meant like coffee and donuts in the church basement, right? That's fellowship, fellowship time. I don't know that that fully captures it. Or, or maybe if you're not in the church and you hear the word, or you're not, you didn't grow up in the church, you hear the word fellowship, maybe it's like, like a, I guess a medical fellowship or fellowship of the ring or like jolly ho, good fellow, so, you know, something like that. It, it's a word that like we don't use fellow very often or fellowship very often. But I'm telling you, it actually it has a really specific meaning that's important for us to understand. In Greek, the word that we translate fellowship is koinonia, koinonia, which means essentially participating together in a shared identity or purpose, koinonia. You see, it's not just about relationships and association. It's not just about hanging out and having coffee and talking to people. It's about action. It's about what we do because of what we share in common. Does that make sense? So here's an example. Think of the Avengers, okay? I, I know I talk about Marvel Cinematic Universe probably a bit too much in my sermons, but whatever. Think about the Avengers because they are a koinonia, okay? They are a fellowship. When Captain America and Scarlet Witch and, and Spider-Man are all hanging out together eating shawarma or whatever, when they're all hanging out, they're not just friends. They're not just buddies, They are in association together because they have a bigger purpose, right? They've got to save the world from whatever. They they are a koinonia because of what they share in common. And what they share in common is a purpose. And the church is just like that. We too have a common purpose to bring salvation to the world in Jesus' name. Come to think of it, the Fellowship of the Ring actually is a really great use of the word fellowship And koinonia because they also had a bigger purpose didn't they the elves and dwarves didn't like hanging out they didn't like each other but in the fellowship of the ring they had a purpose to bring what salvation to middle earth or whatever you want to say sorry okay we're just getting all kinds of nerdy today and there's more i promise there's more in just a moment Um, but all that to say you get the idea what a koinonia is it's not just hanging out it's about purpose and doing things together and because in this early church, because, because the church shares this message of Jesus in common, because they, they share uh, his mission to heal the world, well, what do they do? They share their tables with one another. They eat together. They share their spiritual lives. They pray together. And as a little bit later in the passage, it says, they even shared their homes. They shared their stuff. They did all of that while they were learning at the feet of the apostles. They learned at the feet of the apostles and they shared koinonia. That is what it means to be the church. The apostles' teaching and koinonia and all the rest of that passage, it flows out of those two things. And here, I love this, it's happening for the first time. But this is what the church is. So what's the outcome of all this? What what happens to them when, when this kind of lifestyle is happening? Well, it says in verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all. A deep sense of awe. Now, this word awe, I, I think it's, it's interesting because it's actually the Greek word phobos, literally fear. Now, now in scripture, the word fear, it kind of has a unique meaning, because both in Hebrew and in Greek, it has a kind of a dual meaning, both fear and awe. Um, you know, you hear like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and you think that's kind of weird that we're supposed to be like afraid of God. But, but this, this word, it doesn't just mean fear like terror. It also means astonishment and wide-eyed uh, amazement. Again, last nerdy reference, but here's how I think about the word phobos, and maybe this will be helpful for you. Think about it the way that you think about uh, how people see dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, all right? Think of the original Jurassic Park movie. Think of Alan Grant, the main character, Dr. Alan Grant. When he sees a T-Rex, he's terrified, right? He's actually about to die, so he's terrified it's a T-Rex. But remember that scene when they first see the Brachiosaurus? Can you show the picture? Yeah. Remember that scene? This is like a classic movie. Uh, They first see the Brachiosaurus, and they are filled with what? With awe with wonder. That's the image of looking at something that blows your mind, and that image is the phobos, the the awe that the original church had when they looked around at what God was doing in their midst. It was jaw-dropping astonishment, and you can understand why, can't you? I mean, think about it. People were being healed of diseases, uh, Ordinary folks were being empowered by the Spirit with amazing gifts. Men and women were being saved from their self-focused sin, and they were being set free to live a life of purpose and healing the world. I mean, this is astonishing stuff. A new day had dawned in the world, and these Christ followers, they knew that they were caught up in the very beginning of it. This was thrilling. This was exciting. And so no wonder they were sharing in koinonia, in fellowship together. They had a common identity, a common purpose, and now they were spurred on to action in their awe. I mean, no wonder, no wonder everybody opened up their homes to one another and shared what they had, right? I'm in awe of what God is doing here. You have a need? Well, here, I'm going to meet that need. I can meet that need. No wonder uh, they were enjoying the goodwill of all the people, I mean, imagine living in that time and looking, being on the outside looking in and you see a community of people who are just loving and joyful and abundant and rich and sharing everything they have. I mean, that's wild. I would want to be a part of that. I'm in awe that such different people could share so much in common, right? And no wonder, no wonder every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. No wonder. Because the church began with awe. The church began with awe. And I don't think it's very surprising, with that backdrop, I don't think it's very surprising at all that it only took about 30 years for this message of Jesus to have reached the extent of the Roman Empire, to be basically all over the world. It was in Rome itself within just a couple of decades. That's wild. And it's not really that surprising when you think about what this movement was. The church had been born... And this movement of restoration, it could not be stopped. They tried. They tried to kill it off, but it wasn't going to happen. It couldn't be stopped, and it continues today. We are still a part of this exact same movement. It doesn't mean it's been a super awesome, <laughs> great ride all the time. There have been some really dark moments in the church, right? There, there have been, you know, we've, we've had times of, of persecution, but we've also had times when we've been in the power of the structures of our world, we've had crusades and reformation we've had uh, councils and colonialism and scandals and revivals it has been a bumpy journey nevertheless this community of jesus followers has endured and continued to learn and continued to adapt and grow there have been yes many mistakes many many shameful moments along the way because look we're a movement made up of broken sinful people so that's just how it happens but overall Overall, God's message of hope and salvation has continued to undergird this movement and it continues to do so today. It is still here. The church is still alive. It is still changing lives. And I believe it still has the power to leave our jaws on the floor. It does. The church began with awe. And I believe that when the church is at its best, even today, it can still give us that sense of astonishment and wonder. So Grace Church, here we are. Here we are, 1,988 years, almost to the day from this exact moment in Acts 2. Give or take a few years, scholars debate, maybe it was AD 30 that this happened or AD 33, but whatever. Like we're almost 2,000 years from this exact moment. It was probably the same time of the year We're about to celebrate our 30th anniversary and we are in this turning point moment that I talked about before. We're launching Fishers as an independent church plant. We're experiencing a rebirth here at 146th Street. And when you look around at the world around us, what do you see? You see a world that is desperately in need of hope, desperately in need of good news, desperately in need of something, something to lift our eyes. I believe that the conditions are perfect for the days of awe to return. The days of awe to return. And I actually think they're already beginning to return. Why do I think that? Well, I think that because when I look at what these early disciples of Jesus were doing, it resembles a little bit of what we do as a church— For example, we at Grace, we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, don't we? Why do you think we're such Bible nerds around here? Why do you think we always work so hard to go super deep into Scripture and not just stay at the surface? Why do you think we are so insistent that we all continue to live lives of constant learning and growth and discipleship and we are not content to just sit back? We always want to grow. We always want to learn more. That's because we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching just like in the early church. And just like the early church, we have devoted ourselves to koinonia, to to fellowship. We share a common purpose. We share a common identity. And it drives us to action. We know why we're here. We're here to, to bring healing to the broken places of this world in Jesus' name. That's why we're here. We know that. We're not just here for coffee and donuts. We're here to change the world. That's why Jesus has drawn us into community. And I believe that as as that devotion to the apostles' teaching, to, to, to Koinonia, as that devotion bears fruit in this world, I believe it brings transformation every time. It heals lives, it saves souls, it brings people to a place of transformation. And when that happens, guess what it does to our jaws? It drops them. It leaves us with awe. We've had bumpy road, a bumpy road at Grace over the years, just like the church always has. But I'll tell you, when Grace Church is at its best, it leaves me and it leaves us with profound astonishment at what God can do. So yes, the days of awe are not gone. I believe they're here. And I can't wait to see what God's gonna do next, honestly. Honestly. So that's what we're going to talk about this summer. We're going to talk about the book of Acts. We're going to talk about how it started and, and how it's going. The, the Big C Church and Grace Church and the original church. We're going to talk about it all. How it started and how it's going. But here's what I want to ask you right now. I want to, I want to, just, I want to talk about you and ask you this question. How's it going? How's it going for you? Honestly, how are you doing? When, when you read Acts 2... You, you read about these profound emotions and the energy and the life. D- does any of this sound familiar to you right now? Like when you, when you look around at your spiritual family and your, your faith experience right now, are you in awe? Are you astonished at what God is doing? Some of you are. I know you are. You, you tell me this, you're, you're pumped up, you're excited, you're overwhelmed, you're amazed. But I know some of you don't necessarily feel that way. And so here's what I want to tell you. If that's you and you, you just don't say, you, you don't feel this level of awe, you don't really feel engaged, I want you to know this. You are not alone. You are not alone in feeling that way. In fact, I have talked to so many Christ followers recently, both inside grace and outside of grace, who, who feel like they are a bit stuck. I talked to my Uber driver in Florida the other day and he was saying the exact same thing. There is something going on where we feel a level of uh, disconnection from our faith and a bit of apathy, and it's really hard to get ourselves going. We don't feel awe, we feel ugh, right? I don't know if it's the pandemic. I don't know if it's the, the cultural upheaval that's going on right now. I don't know if it's changes that have happened to our, uh, the American church. Is it TikTok? I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but I do know that man, it sure feels like there is this malaise over so many of our faiths and so many of our church experiences right now. It's really hard to get ourselves back in the game. It really is. So again, if that's how you feel, I want you to know this, it is okay that you feel that way because look, there are lots of others that do. You are not alone in this. But I also want you to understand something. It's okay for you to feel that right now. It is not okay for you to stay there it's not okay for you to stay there. And look, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. This isn't, this isn't because I'm like, oh, you gotta do a bunch more boring church stuff. No, it's not an obligation. I'm telling you, it's not okay to stay there because this book, these words, this, this message that we are a part of, this movement that is, that is gathering us together, this has the key, this is the key to you living your best possible life. This is the key to you living a life of hope and life and joy. It's the key to you living a life that actually matters in this world, that actually brings healing to the people and the places that you care about in this world. It has the key. So no, it's not okay for you to stay there because you're missing out on life, on what God could offer you if you were fully in the game. Imagine what your life would be like. Just imagine, use your imagination, if you were consistently in awe of what God was doing around you. If you were caught up again, or maybe for the first time caught up in something bigger than yourself, imagine if you were being swept along by the power of the Holy Spirit, and all you could say was yes, as one amazing thing happened after another as you watched God heal your world. Can you imagine that? Because it's possible. It is possible, and I want to help you get there. We all do. That's what we're here for, to help you and to help this church experience the awe that comes from God's power at work. So how? How do you do that? Where do you start? After a a year of pandemic malaise, how do you get back in the game? Well, I've got three ideas for you right out of this passage. And I'm just gonna get their simple ideas and I'm just gonna throw them out there and give you some practical uh, ways that you could respond, okay? So consider this. If this is how you're feeling right now, number one, number one, make a commitment. Make a commitment to Jesus. Now this may mean that, that for the first time in your life, it's time for you to say, I am done trying to figure this out and go it alone. I am ready to surrender my life to Jesus. That could be you. If it is, You better be over there at the cross after service to receive prayer and to make that commitment, or on June 26th and 27th, when we open up the baptismal, I hope you're going to be there to tell your story, to make a public declaration of what God has done in your heart. Make a commitment to Jesus. Don't wait. Now's the time. Now's the time. Or maybe, maybe you need to recommit your life to Jesus. Maybe you've already been baptized. You need to recommit. It's okay to make that commitment Today. This month, this, this year, it's okay to make that commitment. In fact, when we have baptisms that weekend, we're also, we don't know exactly what we're gonna do, but we're gonna have a, a way, a practical, tangible way for you to demonstrate your recommitment to Jesus. Not in the tank, but maybe with candles or something else. We're gonna do something where you can actually recommit your life in front of your church community to Jesus. And there's one other thing you can do. That's a, it's a commitment that you can do. And that's to join our core team. Our core team, that's what we're calling our our form of membership. It's a way for you to commit alongside others to help build this church. To take ownership of this church. You can go to our website, gracechurch.us slash core. It's got all kinds of information there, but really, really simply, basically you just make a commitment for one year to one of our five ministry areas, and you say, I'm all in. I'm all in to help build this church. I want to be on the inside track and help help be a part of what God is doing here. That's what it is. So if that's something that's intriguing to you, you could be working side by side with other people who are passionate about what God is doing here, and I guarantee that's going to start to fan your flames a little bit, isn't it, rather than just trying to do it all alone. So make a commitment. Make a commitment. Now is the time. Second, if you want to experience awe, I'm going to encourage you to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. This summer, okay, this is a nice little tidy little summer. We can talk about it, like a couple months commitment. This summer, don't let your faith be an afterthought. Don't let your faith be something that you kind of do when you've got some free time. No, attend church every week. Do it. If you're, if you're on vacation, watch church online. Not because you get some kind of spiritual brownie points, to be clear, right? We don't hand out attendance gold stars, okay? That's not what it's about. Don't do it to make me happy. Do it because it's going to give you an opportunity to hear the words of the apostles for yourself. That's what the New Testament is. This is the teaching of the apostles, Put that in your life on a regular basis. But I'll tell you what, don't just rely on the weekend services to do your spiritual growth for you. If your entire spiritual walk is just relying on my enthusiasm for Jesus, my goodness, that is not enough, okay? You got to take responsibility for growing your own journey. Feed yourself in in your walk with Jesus. For example, read the Bible on your own. I know reading is like so last century, but like read the Bible on your own. Maybe read Luke and Acts together this summer. Just see what comes out as you read this whole two-part saga and see what God does in your heart there. Or uh, make sure that you're having spiritual conversations with your friends, with your family. Talk about stuff that matters and not just the latest like celebrity gossip or whatever. Talk about your faith. Uh, If you want to grow deeper, spend some time with The Bible Project Their podcasts, their website, their videos, they they make unbelievable stuff. It's absolutely spot on. It's incredible. Spend some time with them. Or here's a little little summer assignment for you. If you find yourself out in nature of any kind, listen to an audio version of Psalm 104. That's it. I'm not going to describe it or explain it. Just do that. Trust me. And look, if you don't know what else to do that's going to help you inspire and grow your faith this summer, shoot me an email. I'm serious. And I will help you think of ideas. I'll help you come up with some stuff that's gonna drive you and fire you up. I want you to grow. But I want you to work on growing yourself and not relying on the sermons that I'm giving to be your sole source of spiritual nourishment, okay? Devote yourself this summer to the apostles' teaching and it will increase your awe. It will, it will. Finally, devote yourself to koinonia. Devote yourself to fellowship. Remember, this is our our shared identity, our shared purpose that drives us to action. Like I said, this is a season of rebirth here at Grace Church. And when you look around outside in our world, what do you see? You see a time of disillusionment and distaste for Christianity. We've talked about this. That's the, the credibility gap that exists out there, right? We, I believe we, Grace Church, through the power of the Spirit, we can offer our world a fresh vision of what's possible. We can do that. We can be a diverse intergenerational community. We can work hard to make that possible. We can continue a radical pursuit of justice in our world. We can be a church of grace and mercy where all are welcome. We can continue our journey of the humble pursuit of truth. All the things that make Grace Church Grace Church, we can continue to do that. And if we do, in this time of the credibility gap, we can be a church that experiences, just like an act, the goodwill of all the people. We can experience that. We can see lives around us transformed. We too can be in awe of what God is doing at our church. But I want to be clear. That church that I'm describing is not me. It's not the staff. It's not the pastors here. It's you. You are Grace Church, not us. We're just here to support you in being the church. So don't think that you're just coming to watch us do church. You are coming to be renewed so that you can go out and be the church in our world. So here's my challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. If this is your koinonia, if this is your fellowship, then get in the game this summer. Put your passions to work for this community. In Jesus' name, let us support you in doing the things that matter in this world, where we can be a a church that everybody is involved. Can you imagine that, where we are all pulling together in the same direction? I know that in this this, uh, year after COVID, we're all a bit disconnected. We're all a bit uh, out of our rhythm. Maybe it has become a little bit too easy for us to sit on the sidelines, But now is the time to shake off the dust, to get back in the game, and to do the things that you are genuinely passionate about because those passions, I believe, come from God himself. So look, some of you, you know already, as I say all that, you know exactly what that means. You know exactly what you need to be jumping back into because you know where your passions are. For some of you, you're like, all right, maybe I'm I'm intrigued, tell me more, maybe I'll get in the game, but I don't know where to start. If that's you, I just wanna give you a couple ideas. A couple ideas, uh, and again, this is about where you are passionate. So maybe something here sparks some interest in you. First of all, uh, Grace Kids, our kids ministry, they do incredible work every single week to make sure that your kids and your your uh, students as well are are being loved and given an incredible opportunity to meet Jesus. But look, shooting straight with you, these last several months, they have been having to get really creative to be able to make sure that those environments are, are even possible because we don't have uh, the volunteer support that we need to be able to, to love and care for all of our children. So maybe, and it doesn't have to be working directly with kids, maybe you could be in security in the hallway, maybe you can, can help with curriculum, I don't know, maybe there's something you're passionate about that can help touch the life of a child and help them meet Jesus. Maybe that's you. Or another thing, uh, our production team. Our production team that does uh, lights and sound and, and video and cameras, not only do they help us have... Uh you know, great worship services together, but they provide for our online audience as well. For anyone who's not able to be here, they're able to experience this worship service. And I gotta tell you, our production team is kind of threadbare at the moment. We've got pastors and their spouses and our staff who are, are running cameras because we need more folks to be a part of this team. And, and they're doing a great job. Danny, crushing it. I don't know where Kylie went. I know, where's Kylie? Why is she not at the camera? Oh well. That camera did have another staff person, Kylie, who was great. Uh, but you get the point. Look at, the, look at this right here. Um, so our production team, maybe if you, you don't have to, you can be trained the day of to run a camera. You can, you can do this if that's something that you're passionate about. Or our care center. Talk all the time about our care center. We need volunteers to be able to provide for hundreds of families in our community. And there's all the normal volunteer opportunities, care center friends working in the warehouse or whatever. But I just found out this week that our staff member, Thomas Priscelli is unloading an entire truck full of donations by himself every Monday morning. So like... He's a great guy, but my goodness, if you want to join in unloading some donations to help serve families, if, that, if you like just want to move stuff with your big muscles, that might be a great way for you to use your passions. And then, I, okay, I get it, can I get an amen? Okay, big muscles. I think that was probably what we were applauding. Last one, last idea. Um, lift is our ministry for children and students with disabilities and it's a beautiful ministry if you're not familiar with it it's incredible but our dream is to really expand that ministry to begin serving adults with disabilities and weaving that into the fabric of our church but right now our lift team is really struggling to be able to make sure that just our kids and students have enough buddies and help and support to be able to love them on the weekends and so until we can get that team up to speed we're not going to really be able to do all the Expansion that we want to do. I'm just saying, this is not about getting you guys to do a bunch of work, a bunch of random stuff to help us. I'm just trying to find where you are passionate so that you can use your gifts to serve this church. We had a, a link up there a second ago, gracechurch.us slash serve you can go to that page and see a whole bunch of other things I didn't mention here, other ways that you can volunteer, other ways that you can get in the game. And tell you what, there's a, a link you can click there. If you don't know how to serve, you don't know what you're passionate about, we will help—Marcus is right here on the front, on the second row. Marcus and his team will help you find your place of passion and your place of service to help build this Mia that we are a part of. Okay, I'm, you got me all worked up. I just wanted you to know this is the time. This is the time to get in the game. Why? Because we have a shared purpose, don't we? A shared purpose in Jesus. We are his witnesses in this world. And it's when we dive into that purpose with all our hearts that we will truly come alive. We will come alive. So this summer, make a commitment for Christ. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching and devote yourself to koinonia, to fellowship. Fellowship. The church began with awe. I think it's about time that awe begins with you. Let's pray. Well, Father, I share in this overall sense of uh, cloudiness and malaise as, as, as we try to figure out life after all of what's just happened over this last year. Uh, and so, Father, my prayer right now, for anyone who, who resonates with that and feels the same way, is that your Holy Spirit would light a spark in us. That we would right now sense your, your Spirit's moving. That we would find ourselves getting swept away into our passions that you have given us. Father, we are here for the sole purpose of glorifying you and raising the message of your son so that everybody around us can see, raising it like a beacon of hope. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would empower us as you did at the early church. You would empower us to use our gifts and our strengths and our passions to bring healing to this world. And I pray for anyone who is feeling discouraged or dismayed right now that you would fill us with hope, fill us with life, and fill us with a renewed sense of calling. I pray these things in the powerful name of your son Jesus who we follow. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us/hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.